Okay, let me grab my... Everybody's worst nightmare to follow that, but thank you. Thank you. If you're visiting with us, I'm, I'm very sorry, and I'm um, thrilled that you're here at the same time. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Um, how many of you are here totally forced because it's Mother's Day? Mom said, my dream is for you to go to church. Not that you'd admit that. All right. Hey, um, I just read this week as I was doing a little studying on um, there is a new reality show that the producers of Survivor and Apprentice are putting together called Mom. Works like this. Six married men are dropped off on an island with one car and four kids each for six weeks. Each kid plays two sports and either takes music or dance classes. Each man must take care of his four kids, keep his assigned house clean, do the dishes, correct the homework, complete science projects, cook, and do laundry. There's no access to fast food. The men only have access to television when the kids are asleep or all the chores are done. There's only one 12-inch TV between all the men, and there is no remote. The men must shave their legs and apply makeup daily while driving or making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They must help in the class weekly, clean up after their sick children at 3 a.m., make a model Indian teepee with six toothpicks, a tortilla, and candle wax, (laughs) all while getting a four-year-old to eat a serving of peas. The kids vote the men off the island based on competence. The last man wins only if he has enough energy to be intimate with his spouse at a moment's notice. If the last man does win, he can play the game over and over again for the next 18 to 25 years, eventually earning the privilege to be called mom. That's a great job description of a mom. Uh, This week on salary.com, they do this every year, they add up what a stay-at-home mom would make. And uh, this year they say it's $113,000 a year for the job of a stay-at-home mom. And my wife was very subtle about that as she printed it out and put it on my pillow. (laughs) So I very subtly circled the words, should be paid, and put it back on her pillow. Uh, But moms, uh, whether you stay at home, whether you work, you are are amazing. And as a church, we want to pause to, to honor you that... Uh, We want to celebrate the wide diversity of moms that are represented here and uh, the the fact that you're called to do amazing things. I know we have some single moms here who you are my hero for how you spin the plates and keep all the things up in the air, doing it all alone. We have some women in here who long to be mothers, but for whatever reason, they, they can't be. And I am so sorry. I can't even imagine your, your pain. We have some moms in here facing an empty nest, like, like my wife. We have some uh, mothers of wayward children who feel like total failures. We have moms here who work outside the home. We have moms who work inside the home. We have moms who have gone through the horrific and indescribable loss of a child. We have, re- we have moms who have received children through adoption. We have moms in blended families where, where life is unsettled. We have mothers of teenagers here 
who one day you feel like you're the best mom in the world and the next day you feel like you're a total idiot. And we have moms of newborns and toddlers who are so tired they want to sleep during this sermon. <laughs> and you're given the privilege to, just to have the energy to face your child in a few minutes. But I want to speak on behalf of all the leadership here at Saddleback, in, or Saddleback. <laughs> Sorry. I, I got 20 years there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just close in prayer. Uh, On behalf of the leadership here at Mariner's Mission Viejo, (laughs) thank you for what you do and who you are. I just want to pause and, um, and pray for you, your moms. Jesus, thank you for the moms here today. I pray for those who want to be moms, but they can't. Oh, Jesus, in the midst of their stress and their fear and their doubt, will you give them your your peace and your presence? We pause to thank you for all the moms. Thank you for love. Thank you for using moms to help us know more about the depth of your love for us. So Jesus, I ask you to reveal your presence to them today in a way that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're loved and valued. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to introduce you to my mom. Uh, This is Marge Fields, uh, sitting with her cutest of three children. And sometimes in, sometime in the 60s here, and I, I wish my mom was here today, but she passed away a little over two years ago, and she's a great woman. Today's the first day, actually the first Mother's Day that I've spoken about her since, um, since she's died. She's a very, um, very kind and gentle soul, unless you messed with me or my sisters. Because if you mess with one of us, then she went from kind and gentle to kind of like Chuck Norris on crack. Okay, and uh, she was also a very, like many of you moms, she was was a very protective mom, that she was always concerned about my safety. She was adamant that when I left the house that I would wear clean underwear because she was always fearful that I might get in an accident. And apparently, when you're in a car accident, the first thing the cops do is check your underwear. (laughs) And I didn't want to make her look, look bad. Okay. On, this, uh, on this Mother's Day weekend, what I want to do is I want to share with you a, a couple of things that my mom taught me about Jesus. And how that Jesus has changed and transformed my life. And the principles that I want to share with you, I believe they can change your life as well. See, many times we go to bed at night and we think, I wonder what God is like. Well, if you want to know what God is like, you study the life of Jesus. If you want to know the heart of God, you look at the heart of Jesus. If you want to know the character of God, you look at the character of Jesus. And I realize there's some people here today that you're visiting or you're checking out or you're curious or you're wondering or you were forced to be here or whatever, whatever it is. And I just want to tell you, if you want to know more about God, lean into Jesus. Jesus himself said, 
If you see me, you see the Father. The verse I put in your notes and the one that's up on the screen is this. In Colossians 1.15, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You see, Jesus made God visible. And my mom made Jesus visible to me. Let me share you a couple ways that I think you can identify with. The first is, my mom showed me that God is compassionate. Like many of you moms here, my mom was extremely compassionate, and it came easy to her. It wasn't, it wasn't forced. Her compassion was, was natural, and it was heartfelt. Her compassion was on display every day. And you probably had a similar situation in your days of growing up with mom, is that when you were outside, out front, you'd get hurt. Any child, uh, including myself, I would run into the house when I had some type of injury or damage or fear, and I would run into the house and I would yell what? Mom. I would yell mom. Because I knew that where mom was, there was compassion. Never in the recorded history of being a child do you run in and yell dad. Okay? Why? Because dads don't care. (laughs) They say things like, shake it off. If it didn't kill you, it makes you better. Walk on it. You'll be fine. No pain, no gain. Hey, and while you're standing here, get me a scoop of ice cream. (laughs) Quit your crying. You're blocking the TV. You know, that's just dads. You don't run in and yell for dad unless you want money. I remember as a child waking up at three in the morning, sick to my stomach, and knowing that I was going to vomit and, and racing to the bathroom. It, before the toilet lid hit the back of the, the, the toilet, my mom was there. She was there comforting me and soothing me with a, a, a washcloth and analyzing what it was that made me sick and, and, and just, just there totally to show me compassion. And I used to think... Where's my dad? Why isn't my dad here? And I never really knew until I became a dad, and then I realized, well, he was tired. (laughs) But I want you to understand that my mom was compassionate because she nurtured a friendship with Jesus. And Jesus transformed her nature to look like his nature. Her compassion came alive and was genuine when she began to follow in the ways of Jesus. Jesus is compassionate, therefore God is compassionate. The compassion of God is displayed in the person of Jesus. If you have your Bible, you might turn to John chapter 8. If not, it's in your notes and on the screen. John chapter 8, there is a, a familiar story of a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. It says, uh, starting in verse 2, At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. So you just picture Jesus sitting at the temple courts teaching the people. There's this crowd gathering And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before this group. Now imagine the shame of this woman. But just so you know, a little little 
historical context, the teachers of, re, of religious law and, and uh, the, the Pharisees, they were official students of the law. They were the people who were assigned to, to keep the law. But the bigger issue at play here is that they wanted Jesus out of the picture. Jews didn't like Jesus. The Romans were afraid of potential riots. They were setting up a trap, and they just brought the woman. And you wonder, why just the woman? Was ancient adultery different? No. It was, where was the guy? We don't, we don't know. He, he slept out the back, Jack. Don't need to be coy, Roy. Uh, he, he somewhere he's gone. Sorry, the, over 40 you'll get that. Uh, he, he's, he's not there. But here's the deal. The man was irrelevant. Actually, the woman was irrelevant too. Because the woman was just bait to catch the fish. And actually, she was well-chosen bait. Because Jesus was a champion of, of those who were hurting. These religious leaders, they weren't concerned about justice because if they were concerned about justice, they would have brought Jesus, or they would have brought the, the man into the picture. And so they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, for those of you who are confused, stone would be with rocks, okay? Not, not weed. Now, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, let me just give you the, the snapshot version of the simple version of this trap. If Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then Jesus violates what was called Mosaic law. And you wouldn't dare go against the teachings of Moses because if he went against the teachings of Moses, the people would say, oh, there's no way that he can be, be from God. And he would forfeit the popular goodwill. If he says, yes, go ahead and stone her, then he violates Roman law. And I'll, I'll spare you the details, but Jews weren't allowed to carry out a stoning in, in Roman jurisdiction. And since there was a definite law against adultery... This situation, it wasn't a matter of opinion. They had him trapped. I can almost imagine the Pharisees and religious leaders like high-fiving one another. Going, however he answers, he's gone. We win, he loses. Maybe the crowd even knows that, and they're beginning to look around for the, the rocks to gather for the, for the stoning. The Bible says, but Jesus bent down, and started to write on the ground with his finger. For a couple thousand years, scholars have wondered what he wrote. And no one knows. As a matter of fact, it's even just futile to, to guess. We don't know what he wrote. I mean, some commentators say that maybe he wrote people's names in the sand. And then the sins that they were guilty of. Some believe maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. I don't know, maybe drew arrows to the ones people had broken. Maybe he wrote, Jesus was here, have a great summer. We, we don't know. <laughs> and while we may be left with some ambiguity of what he wrote, what he says next makes it very clear. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Now, notice that Jesus doesn't step into the role of, of judge in front of the crowd. And I think these, this, the leaders, the Pharisees, the crowd, they were, they were maybe caught off guard. They, they didn't think that Jesus was going to be more compassionate with people than with their practice. They hadn't fully realized that the central message of Jesus was love one another, not law one another. And his brilliant response, what it did is it, it, it broke the dilemma and yet upheld the morality of the Jewish law because he didn't say what she was doing was right. I mean, the short version is, I will not judge her sin now. It's not while I'm, why I'm here. Capable? Oh, yeah. Willing? No. Verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, what doesn't come out in this English translation of what was written in Greek is the tenderness of this word woman. He doesn't... He doesn't refer to her by her action. Adulterer. Whore. Sleaze. Slut. Town ho. All the things that we tend to label other people with. He actually uses the word woman. And what we don't picture in the English here, it's a tenderness word. It's actually the word that he used for talking to his mom in John chapter 2. And she says, no one, sir, no one has condemned me. And then he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, the only one who could legitimately throw a stone didn't even pick one up. Jesus alone could declare her not guilty because he alone would take her sin and nail it to the cross. Jesus doesn't express approval of her actions, but he does express compassion. See, that's what compassion is. Compassion doesn't focus on one's fault and failures. No, what compassion does is it comforts and focuses on one's future. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of God. It's compassionate, merged with love. And actually, that's the second thing that my mom taught me about Jesus, that God is love. Marge Fields expressed love to me in thousands of different ways. You know, just the many, many small ways that would add up. When I think about early memories of being a little child and her reading me books, just endless books and books and books. And I knew with my mom she would read the whole book, unlike my dad. Right? Some of you men know this. Once upon a time, they lived happily ever after. You know, and it's, it's over. My mom went to all my games. It was a, a love of presence. She sat in the stands. She would always yell and cheer at my sporting events. It was easy to hear her because I was sitting on the bench next to the stands. And, you know, Doug, you're great. You're a great job sitting. Way to go. Yeah. But it was these many different displays of love that helped me to better understand God's love. That God's love was 
sacrificial. God's love was consistent. God's love was tender and compassionate and selfless. It's a love that pointed to God. And I think a parent's love for a child is the closest thing that we get to experience how much God loves us. See, I used to think I understood God's love. I came to Christ as a teenager. I spent four years at a Bible college studying God's love. I spent three years at a graduate school learning the Bible in different languages, studying more about God's love. And then I left and I taught my understanding of God's love. But what I realized is that it was mostly theory. Because I experienced God's love in an unusual package. It was a baby. It's all of a sudden, when I became a parent, I realized firsthand everything that I'd studied all of a sudden began to make sense about how much God loves me. It was December 15th, 1988. Not too far from here in Hogue Hospital, there was four of us in the room. My wife, myself, the doctor, and the nurse. Then bam, five. Five. The delivery didn't hurt me at all. Okay, and I, I mean, I, but I did freak out because I ran out of the room to call my wife and tell her about it, uh, but she wasn't home. And, and so uh, when I kind of got, you know, back together, I was just standing there weeping, just weeping, because for the first time I experienced the depth of, of God's love. And I'll never forget the doctor bringing my firstborn to me, saying, do you want to hold her? And I said, No. She looks slippery. <laughs> and if some of you have never seen a newborn child, just, it's like a Vaseline-covered weasel. I mean, you just like, you know, how am I, what am I going to... So, as I'm awkwardly holding E.T., I... There was a, a moment where she, she squeezed my finger. And... As soon as she squeezed my finger, it was like God reached into my heart and squeezed my heart and gave me a new chamber of love and said, Doug, when you think you love her, times that by infinity, and that's how much I love you. And I can't adequately explain it. For those of you who are parents, you, you, you get it. But if the doctor would have come to me and said, Mr. Fields, in order for your child to live, you must die, I would have done it. Now that she's 24, you know, I, I have to think a little deeper about that. Okay? But God's love for us is displayed not only in Jesus, but take a look in John 1 John 4 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now catch this, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In my Bible, I've circled the words, this is love. You see, the birth of Jesus, friends, was not prompted by our love for God. The birth of Jesus was sent here to save us, prompted by 
God's love for humans. It's actually a love that makes life available. If you study this text, you'll see the paradox. And let me try to give it to you as, as, as succinctly as I can. Here's the paradox. Jesus had to die for you to live, to really live. See, his death was not an accident. His death was an appointment. It was an appointment to atone for your sins, to pay for my sins. See, a love that's willing to die is big. And it's willing to die for you. And people hear God is love, they go, oh, universal love, God loves the world. Right, he does. God loves creation. Yes, he does, but it gets better. God loves you. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you think of him, regardless of how you live, regardless of how you act, regardless of your history, regardless of what you're thinking right now, God loves you. It's a personal love. It's an intimate love. It's a sacrificial love because that's what God does. That's his job description, love. And he loves you not because you love him. He loves you because he loves you. That's what my mom taught me. But in my mom's teaching that God is compassion and God is love, it wasn't accidental. Actually, it was intentional. I watched my mom for 70 plus years and watched her make intentional choices. And if you flip your notes over, I want to show you the two intentional choices that she made. And I want to challenge you to make those choices. To be courageous enough to walk out of here saying, I want to be that type of mom. I want to be that type of man. I want to be that type of child. I want to be that type of person. To pass on that legacy, here's what my mom did. First, she chose others before herself. Constantly. One of my earliest memories of being with my mom outside of the home was um, she would volunteer her time at nursing homes and convalescent hospitals. And I remember a, a crying moment that I had because I was playing a game with an old man named George. Does anybody here remember the game Tippet? Anybody remember Tippet? Some of us here remember Tippet. It was this game where you had to take things off and you just had to use it where the thing didn't tip off. If it tipped off, you lost. And I remember crying and having a fit as a little boy, three or four years old, because George cheated. <laughs> George held the thing still and then took the stuff. Anybody can do that. It's not called hold it, George. It's called tip it. And I remember just crying at this nursing home, and my mom tried to explain that George didn't fully understand. It didn't matter who won or not. I, well, yes, it does. Okay? But I just remember my mom. That was her life. When I was a teenager, she befriended a blind woman at our church. And she probably spent three or four days with this blind woman, driving her around to appointments and caring for her and inviting her to stuff that we did as a family. And my mom served this blind woman in a way that nobody else did. Just actually a few years ago, before my dad passed away, his Parkinson's got so bad we had to put him into a care facility. And my mom went to the care facility every day, not just to visit my dad, but to care for other people there. She actually cared for the caretakers at that facility. I didn't like, I loved my dad, I just didn't like going there. It made me feel weird, it made me feel awkward, I didn't like the smell, I just was 
processing the whole dad thing and my losing my, my dad, but I would sit next to my dad on the couch and just hold his hand. And there was a woman there, her name was Vonnie. And Vonnie would sit, but come as soon as she saw me, she'd come and sit down and she'd hold my hand. At first it was weird, but then I got used to it. Because uh, Vonnie told me that I reminded her of Robert Redford. And so, uh, well, don't laugh because she was married to Robert Redford. She was also married to Ronald Reagan and um, oh, there's just one other person, John Wayne. She was married to those three. She was, she was quite the player. And uh, she would tell me and my dad her love stories with those guys. And I would just nudge my dad, and he was giggling in my ear. And, but we were just sitting there. But I, I remember telling my mom one time, Mom, it drives me crazy. Because she tells me the same stories over and over. And she doesn't even remember that I was there. Okay, we hear these, it's on just repeat. And I'll never forget what my mom said. She said, Douglas, because that was the name that I was called when it was serious. Douglas, change your underwear. That was one, Douglas. And then it was, Douglas, that may be true that she doesn't remember. But today, you serve someone that Jesus loves deeply. My mom understood. She understood that being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus was not head knowledge. It was choosing others before herself. Day by day. There's a mom in the Bible who learned this same lesson. She learned it a different way than my mom did. And, and um, this mom that we're going to look at for just a second is, is um, how do I say this? She got, into, she got into her kid's business. Now, if your mom's here, don't raise your hand. But if your mom's not here, anybody have a mom who just got into their business a little bit too much? Let me see your hands. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? You say, you know, Joey was mean to me today at school. Jo- I, I know Joey's mom. I will call Joey's mom. I will go down to the school and talk to the principal about Joey's mom. Like, mom, no, no, forget. I was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that. Okay, it just gets too involved. That's this mom that we're going to look at, okay? Uh, it, it says in Matthew 20, verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him, Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Let me just pause right here for a second. The other disciples are around, and you can almost see this this frustration within them going, oh, great. You guys bring your mom to this. Mom, oh, can I sit at your left? Can I sit at your, what a kiss up. I, I mean, I can't, you know, so there's arguing. Indignant means they were mad at one another. So there's kind of this fighting going on, and Jesus steps in and stops the chaos, and notice what he says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, now he's referring to himself, 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus is saying, hey, out in the world that we live in, these officials, they lord it over other people. They look down on people. They climb their way to the top and squish everybody else. But among you disciples, among you followers, it won't be that way. No, if you want to be great in the kingdom, put yourself last. If you want to be first in my eyes, serve other people. You see, what what happened is that Jesus takes this legitimate and fair question from this woman, crumples it up, puts it in a hat, and then pulls a rabbit out of the hat and shocks everyone with what he values. Serve other people. If you're going to be a disciple, put other people first. See, Marge Fields made that choice many years ago. Oh, Marge, you want to be a disciple? Then you need to choose to put other people before you. Because, friends, you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. And Marge got that. The second choice that she made is, my mom chose obedience over convenience. She chose obedience over convenience. And i got to be honest with you. A lot of us in here don't, you won't want to hear this point. Because we love convenience. We, lo- we want everything to be convenient for us. And obedience messes with convenience. I'll be honest with you, I love convenience. I like my life to be easier. I was watching TV this week and I saw a commercial that um, Frito-Lay has this um, new Dorito called the Rolito. Have you seen this? They, it, it's a Dorito rolled up to look like a AAA battery. It's about that size. A more convenient way to eat your Doritos. A more convenient way. So were people actually struggling with eating regular Doritos? Was it like, I am just not sure which corner to put in first, you know? We've already made, you know, corn chips shaped like spoons for the few inept people that cannot maneuver the dip bowl, you know, now Rolitos. Next, they're going to create a convenient way to shoot cholesterol right into your arteries, Because, but we love convenience. And what I want to say to you, especially in the context of this whole series that we're doing called Christian. Convenience is often at odds with obedience. Being obedient and following Jesus is not always easy. The actions are not always the easiest ones to take. And it's not a secret. Jesus didn't promise us an easy, convenient, pain-free life. I'd say it like this. If you really follow Jesus, it's going to ruin your life. How's that for a marketing tag for a church? Jeff, maybe that's our next series. Follow Jesus, dot, dot, dot. It'll ruin your life. Bring your friends. But the ruins are beautiful. The ruins are beautiful. I've been ruined by Jesus. And here's what that means. I can't look at life the same way I used to. I've been ruined. I can't look at the world's value system and embrace it. 
because my heart's been ruined. I can't look at people the same way. I feel more love and compassion, less bitterness and anger and rage. I don't look at situations the same way I used to because my heart's been ruined, beautifully ruined. I talked to a guy last night in the lobby. He was talking about basically telling me his story. And his wife said, you can't believe the transformation that's taken place since he's come to Jesus. She says, sometimes I think, I can't believe I married that old guy. This is the guy that I always wanted. That's what Jesus does, is he ruins our life in the most beautiful of ways. I tell people, you know, when they decide to have kids, kids are going to ruin your life in the most beautiful way. Same thing is true with, with Jesus. And I've told you this before. I've been here long enough where you're hearing some repeat themes. And this is one that I'm happy to say every time I speak. Obedience is deep, people. Obedience is deep. I talk to a lot of Christians. They're always in the search to go, I want to go to the deeper church. I want to go to the deeper Bible study. I want to hang around the deeper teachers. Doug, if you just, you know, if you just take three verses and teach on them for 10 weeks, you would be deep. If you use more Greek words, like the word, what's the Greek word for camel? You know, you'd be deep. If you didn't use humor, you'd be deep. If you didn't tell stories, you'd be deep. Then I remind them that the Bible says every time Jesus taught, he told stories. So I say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Uh, but here's the deal. Let me help you in your search for deep. Obedience is deep. Okay. You begin to obey Jesus and follow him, and then let's talk about deep. Okay. People don't need more head knowledge. They need to put into play what they already know and be obedient to that. As Jesus was speaking... Luke 11, verse 27, as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the woman from which you came and the breasts that nursed you. You can almost see Jesus teaching and he, he makes this pause and this woman from the audience shouts out like she's so blown away, like, whoa, your mom is the greatest. Now, it kind of may seem weird, but in that culture that you would honor a mom by the work of their children. And so this woman was just being honoring. She was trying to honor Jesus and, and, and his mother. But Jesus takes this interruption and he puts a twist on it. Because what he's saying that although this sweet lady was being sincere, it wasn't enough. Jesus replied, but even more blessed, not just my mom, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Jesus uses this interruption and he declares where the real blessings in life reside. Here's the secret, friends. Obey God's word. Just obey it. Okay? It's not about knowing the right things. or It's about following. And the reason we want you to understand this so deeply is because following Jesus is not about just checking off this belief system. Okay, I believe that, and I believe that, and I, I believe that. I agree with that statement of faith. This whole series that Jeff and I have been doing called Christian 
is not just calling us to a set of beliefs, but it's calling us to, to actually following Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus, the person and the teachings of Jesus, that's where it gets exciting. That's where it gets challenging. That's where the action is. That's where the transformation is. That's where the legacy of love and compassion is, is communicated and passed on. Moms, I want to celebrate you today. I really do. I want to celebrate you, but I also want to challenge you and everyone else here to be courageous enough, not just to hang on to your title, mom, dad, parent, child. Be an intentional mom, dad, parent, child. Choose obedience over convenience. Choose to put other people in front of yourself and trust trust that Jesus' love and compassion will meet you there that's where real life change is I want to invite some of you to be courageous and during our next set of singing maybe it is for you to come forward and, and you need to be prayed for we're going to have people up here on both sides that would be willing love to pray for you Maybe you need to pray, you want somebody to pray for you because you want to be a mom and you can't. You just need another person to lay hands on you and pray for you. Maybe you, uh, you have bitterness over your mom and you want to be relieved of that bitterness. Maybe you want to pray because you want to be a more intentional parent. I want to invite you to take advantage of that as we, as we continue to worship. Let's pray together. Jesus, I know... Some of the moms in here are growing weary. May they feel the strength from your presence today. May they feel encouragement from your unconditional love. And may they leave today with an awareness of a higher calling to not only love their children, but to follow you closely so that the depth of your love transforms them and then overflows through them. I thank you that, you that you gave me my mom and that my mom made that commitment so many years ago to put you first in her life. And I pray that there would be men and women here today that would make that same decision. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.